0: Welcome to Invisible Arts with your host and my pal, Richard Gibbs, brought to you by Armory of Harmony. This episode is called The Art of the Complaint. I was a session player. I was a hired gun, you know, have synthesizers, will travel kind of guy. I had been the keyboardist in a band called Oingo Boingo, which was a sort of mythical cult new wave band in Los Angeles in the 80s with a rabid following. Some musical artists wanted a taste of our insanity, and I was only too happy to provide it at a price, of course. So that's what I did as a session player. Plus, I could sight-read and could fit in pretty much any musical context um, comfortably. So I, I was a chameleon, in other words, a musical chameleon. I developed a friendship with a guy named Gordon Fordyce, a fantastic engineer, and we've remained friends to this day. Gordon recommended me for a couple of projects, but one was a particularly fun one. We were going to be recording uh, a bunch of songs for a new album for an artist named Andrew Ridgely. He was the other guy in Wham! Wait, Wham! begat George Michael, who was a huge star. Andrew was the other guy, uh, that that, uh, his solo career did not work out so well. But that was the album that I was hired to work on through Gordon. The fun part about it was that we were recording it at Compass Point in the Bahamas, which is a legendary studio that is no more, sadly. So, We were there for, I don't know, I think it was about two weeks working on this album. And I was just having the time of my life. They put me up in a condo that was uh, right on the ocean. And it was directly across a little country lane from Compass Point. The condo had a a balcony. Uh, There was nobody above me or below me. It was a small building And it was all made of solid coquina rock, which comes into play in a little bit. Coquina rock is this fantastic building material that's made of compressed coquina shells, which has incredible sound insulation properties, just like a concrete wall does. We were working banker's hours. We were recording from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. every day. I would get up every morning at the crack of dawn before we started recording, and go snorkeling out in this beautiful turquoise green water over the reefs right out in front of my condo. I could almost dive off of my balcony into the water. I probably would have if it wasn't too shallow. And I would snorkel around and look at, see barracuda and all sorts of beautiful tropical fish. And once I got into a a tug of war with an octopus with a piece of rebar. So life was good. The whole crew, all the guys that were part of this recording session, and Gordon and Andrew, we would all meet for breakfast, which usually contained some form of conch meat in it. You might have scrambled eggs with conch, sandwiches with conch, conch salad, like that. So I'm up at 6.30, I'm out in the water, and then by 8 o'clock we're eating breakfast together, and then by 9 o'clock, we are recording. In the evenings, we all tended to be pretty tired because recording would tucker us out. After dinner, I would kind of sit around my condo, listen to music, and read myself to sleep, and I'm usually just completely out by 10 p.m. every night. Now, I'm a particularly light sleeper. Uh, but One night, about... Oh, I don't know, week and a half into the sessions, I got I got woken up at midnight by this incredible thumping sound coming right through the coquina walls. Now the part of the story I didn't tell you is that my condo shared a common wall with one of my musical heroes, Robert Palmer. Robert Palmer lived in the condo immediately next door, or at least he owned it. But he was rarely there as he was often touring or recording in another country. And I I was so looking forward to meeting Mr. Palmer, but uh, I was told that's not very likely. If there is anybody in there, it's most likely his engineer buddy, Eric Thorngren will stay there. And so I just assumed when I heard this thumping coming through the walls, It was E.T., Eric Thorngren, partying next door. So all I could hear is this low frequency thump and a little bit of bass notes just coming pounding. So I realized, man, that's gotta be some big speakers to get through that wall. And I realized it's the same pattern over and over and over and over and over for hours. So clearly E.T. was working on something. And this went on till maybe three in the morning. I couldn't sleep. Next morning, I had to dispense with my usual swim and kind of drag myself down to breakfast with everybody with haggard eyes, and everybody looked at me like, Itcher, what's, what, what's up with you? What happened to you? What's the matter? And I said, I, I don't know what to do. I said, I'm, I guess I'm going to have to ask to be moved to another condo somewhere because uh, E.T. was there all night, like, playing music all night long and you know maybe I'll have to write a letter or a complaint I don't know and uh, the guys started laughing Andrew's laughing and he goes that's not E.T. I said what do you mean he said Robert Palmer came back last night that was Robert Palmer you were hearing went, oh damn like, I'm not going to complain to Robert Palmer that's just not going to happen Gordon, my buddy, just kept laughing. He goes, why not? And he started goading me. Come on, come on, I dare you. Complain to Robert Palmer. And I kind of got up my nerve. So I wrote a letter of complaint to Robert Palmer. Dear Mr. Palmer, as a great fan of yours and no slouch of a musician myself, I just want to say what an honor it was to hear your new work in progress last night. However, I feel it needs some additional keyboards on the second verse. So if you decide to work on the song again tonight, please don't hesitate to call me, as I guarantee I will be awake. And signed it, Sincerely, Richard Gibbs. So I I took this note and put it in Robert's mail slot at Compass Point, thinking he'll never even read it or... He'll say, What a jerk and that's it. But I thought why not? And I'll just take a crack at it. Later on that day, around four or five o'clock, I'm out in the in the studio and Gordon hits the talk back and says, Richard, you got a call. And I said, Uh oh, so I'm saying well, we're working. Who is it? He says, um, Well you come come on and take it in the control room. So I go in the control room, and I pick it up, thinking it's my wife or my manager or somebody and I said, hello? And they said, Richard? I said, yeah? This is Robert. And I'm looking around at Robert. And he says, Robert from across the street. And then it's like, oh, my God. You know, it's like it's frozen. It's Robert Palmer. And, I, and, also, and I'm thinking it's one of the guys having a go at me. But I could see through the glass. They were all there. So it wasn't one of them playing that musician trick, you know? There's a long-standing joke. Musicians play on each other. They'll they'll call at some awkward hour, and back in the day, it would would be Miles. Hey, Joe, it's Miles. Miles Davis. need you in Boston tomorrow. So I thought somebody's doing a variation on that with Robert Palmer. But as he's talking to me on the phone, and as I'm just sitting there with my mouth agape (laughs) over the phone, I could hear all this laughter in the background. Which kind of reinforced the idea that somebody's having a go at me. But then Robert goes on. He says, um, look, um, I know you You guys normally finish around 5 o'clock. And I said, yeah. And he said, why don't you come over for a drink afterwards? I'd love to meet you. And I'm so sorry about the noise. Go, oh, okay. So I hung up. And I was just flabbergasted that this could actually be true. So we wrapped up. I walked across the street. And sure enough, it was Robert Palmer, welcomes me in, and his band, a couple of the guys from his band were there, and apparently he had read them the letter and they just cracked up. And we hit it off. Uh, Robert and I proceeded to have just a great time. He had this huge library, like a two-story high library of albums with like a, you know one of those librarian ladders. And he would wheel across and pull out some exotic you know, the Bundu boys or something from Malaysia or Cameroon or whatever it might be, and asked me if I'd ever heard this. And, and actually, most of the time I had, I was pretty good with this stuff too, but he was on another level. He was a straight-up musicologist. So he knew music from every country throughout history. It was just such a, um, an aficionado of, of music, like I'd never met before. Including all my professors at Berkeley, he said. So, what are you doing tomorrow afternoon when you're done? I said, Well, I, I don't, I don't know. He said, Well, you've got some gear here, right? I said, Yeah, I've got a Prophet Five. And he said, Why don't you bring your Prophet Five over here? The reason I'd been able to hear everything through the walls—he had these fantastic, huge URI monitors mounted in his living room, like, like full-on studio monitors—with a little eight-track recording rig and he was working on demos for songs. So the next day, I brought over my Prophet 5 and overdubbed on that very song that I had complained about. Did end up overdubbing some keyboards on the second verse and had a great time. And, and I think, well, this is it, a dream achieved. Not only did I meet Robert Palmer, but we kind of became friends, had a musical connection, and I got to record with him, even though it was just a demo. I thought you were sober, yes. I thought you were me. I thought I A week later, uh, I'm back in L.A., and my gear hadn't even made it back yet. It was still in transit, and I get a phone call, and it's Robert. He says, Richard? Yes? It's Robert. You know, same voice, same inflection. I go, hey, Robert. Wow. So what do I owe the honor? And he said, listen, I'm working on a project here, and I'm wondering if you could uh, come back and work on it with me. I said, wow, yeah, of course, absolutely, absolutely. Um, when, when, when are you thinking? He goes, well, how about tomorrow? So, like, yeah, I'm there. So I had to call the transit company, say, turn it around, turn the plane around, get my gear back there. And I went back and worked on um, the soundtrack for a movie called Sweet Lies. And he asked me to bring my trombone. Yeah, I had told him I played trombone badly because I hadn't practiced it in many, many years. But I could play so, I brought my trombone with me, and uh, on this song, the title track for "Sweet Lies," uh, he gave me a trombone solo. Now, Robert's in the control room with his longtime drummer, Donnie Wynn, and I'm out in the studio with my trombone. and I'm kind of I had to kind of construct the solo because i I came up with something that was kind of high in the register of the trombone, which, in my trombone prime, would not have been a problem. But any brass player knows, if you don't practice, your embouchure goes. Your lips get weak. And it was very hard for me to, to hit those notes. I was cracking the notes, but I kind of worked it out, and I had the engineer uh, just record a few bars at a time so I could punch it together and kind of compose the solo, as it were, by punching in these different parts because I I was not capable of playing it all the way through because my embouchure wouldn't allow it. But I did construct something and it was kind of goofy and I'm cracking notes all over the place, but I knew what I wanted to do. And and, and I said, how's that? And Robert said, that's fantastic. That's great. I said, okay, good. Let me come in, uh, give me about a half an hour for my lips to recover and I should be able to play it all the way through and get a good take. And I come in the booth, and Robert and and Donnie were just laughing their asses off. And I said, what? And he goes, "Now that was really good. And I said, well, what's so funny? He says, no, that was really good. I said, I know, I know I played horribly, but but I, I can get it. It'll be fine. he goes, no, you don't understand. That was good. I said, thank you, but now let me record it right. And he goes, no, we're using that. And I said, no, I, I, no, I'm, I was horrified. I said, I'm a better trombone player than that, or at least I used to be. Let me construct this. No, that's exactly the sound we wanted. We wanted the sound of a drunk playing trombone. (laughs) And so that's what's on that record to this day. If you ever look up the song Sweet Lies by Robert Palmer, you hear the sound of a staggering drunk, and that's me trying to remember how to play trombone. A few months later, I get another call. Richard, it's Robert. <laughs> By now, I'm, I'm ready for anything. Hey, Frank, Robert, hi. He said, look, I'm working on my next album, and we're going to record this one in Milan. I've moved to Switzerland just over the border, and I found this fantastic studio in Milan, and I'm bringing my usual band in. Donnie's going to be there. Would you come and and work on this for a couple of weeks? Uh, Yeah, I'm so there. Absolutely. So all my gear shipped over. There we go again. So I land in Milan and show up at the studio. We start to work on the album uh, that ended up being called Heavy Nova. Robert was such a joy to work with, so musically... Uh, inventive, and just, I guess the word is just musical in the way he approached everything. One of the songs came along, Robert had, Robert had already worked it out with uh, Donnie Wynn, the drummer, and it it had a, it was a kind of a down-tempo shuffle. Now, Now, forgive me for this, I'm certainly no Robert Palmer, but you get the idea. She's so fine. There's no telling where the money went. I, I won't do that again. I promise. Now, I was fresh out of Oingo Boingo. And Oingo Boingo, everything was like. <laughs> you know, we were kind of a punk new wave band. Everything was driving straight sixteenths and, and you know, all about the excitement. So I heard the song, uh, which was called Simply Irresistible, and I thought, you know, I think it should... I, I I could hear it as an up-tempo driving pop song, not as this kind of bluesy shuffle. But I didn't really know Robert well enough to have the nerve to say to him, I said, Robert, I've got a better idea f- for the song, so I pinned down Donnie Wynn out in the hallway after we did a take and I said, I said Donnie, and I, you know, I said, Can don't you think a song, what, what do you think about doing another take of the song? I said, She's so fine, there's no telling where the money went, simply irresistible, right? And Donnie goes, Sure. He pitched it to Robert. We re recorded it the next day with that, and that's what became the hit, that version of the song. See the song. Oh. A couple years later, uh, they released a Greatest Hits album. uh, Robert released a Greatest Hits album that had various pieces that I had played on. And he wrote a little paragraph for each song on the, the liner notes. Just something about the song that was interesting to him, what influenced him or whatever. And for Simply Irresistible... I quote now from his liner notes. My drummer, Donnie Wynn, insisted I recut this track because he said it wasn't savage enough and we could get more intense. And I read those liner notes. I said, damn it, damn it. That was me. That was my idea. And um, I've told this story since and written it down, and somebody sent it to Donnie and he doesn't remember it the same way that I do. <laughs> so he's, I'm fine with that. And uh, then many, many, many years later, uh, I, you know, I, I always had this fantasy that someday I would, you know, my primary business at that point was a film composer. And I always thought it'd be fun to write a song or even do a score with Robert that would you know, use African pygmy music or some bizarre gamelon run through a fuzz tone. I don't know what it would be, but I knew it would be interesting. I knew we'd have fun creating a completely different soundscape. And it was always in the back of my mind. It was a fantasy. Someday I will realize that with Robert. And one day I'm driving on the 101 freeway and I hear on the radio, just as an aside almost, the DJs say, Oh, and uh, singer Robert Palmer died last night in Paris. And then... Okay, so the weather today... And it was Oh, my God. And that was it. That was as much press as that got. There was no more attention to it. And I was heartbroken. And I never got to realize that Pygmy Gamelon score with uh, Robert Palmer. And that was that. The beauty of being a musician like Robert is that you're never truly gone. His music is always going to be with me. is produced at Woodshed Recording in the ever-lovely Malibu, California. Your mystery guest today is none other than I, Donnie Wynn.